Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah Today. Uh, Margaret Pettis is joining us to talk about her new volume of poetry, In the Temple of the Stars. Margaret Pettis has sketched and chronicled the moods of the natural world in literary journals, conservation newsletters, and magazines. And She left Northern California to work as a wrangler on an Idaho ranch and then as a Forest Service wilderness ranger, packing mules in the Sawtooth Wilderness. Settling in northern Utah to teach school, she explored the state on foot, horseback, and raft. And uh, she co-founded the Utah Wilderness Association and the High Uintas Preservation Council, a Utah Poet of the Year. This is Margaret Pettis' second book of uh, poetry. And Margaret Pettis joins us on the line. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. So I wanted to, to get into a little bit of your background, um, so, which, which is very, very interesting. You've worked as a wrangler on an Idaho ranch. Uh, what, what brought you to that? Um, all of my uh, childhood, I'd been a horse girl, and I, as soon as I graduated from college, University of California, I uh, applied for jobs at Wrangler uh, ranches. I probably sent out, oh, 80 letters. It was the same form letter, and one rancher bit, and um, that was up in Kuski, Idaho, and so I signed on to work with him for the summer, doing all sorts of things that I had never done before, but was brave and stupid enough to try them, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Is that hard to break in? Uh, You know, I I had never thought about how do you get a job wrangling. Um, I think he, it turned out he had five daughters, and he wanted a female and he felt that was a little more uh, safe for his his environment way out where he was. And I just, I learned everything. I learned about bucking hay and working fences and setting posts and shoeing horses and learned all those things. And once you learn, you you do. And I was the basic grunt for, for him. So you, you grew up doing the, kind of that work? I... I, it, it was more, I guess you could say more genteel where I mm-hmm. grew up. I didn't have to do any of those things, but I just don't, I just loved horses. So the, the horses were in my blood. The rest of the farm work was not. I had to learn that. Um, I grew up on a farm, um, um, orchards, and but it was different kind of work, of course. This involved making fences, and I, we didn't have any fences on our farm. But I, I had ridden lots of events like barrel racing and um, goat tying and things that you do in small-town rodeo. Uh, goat tying, I don't know if I've observed. I've been to some rodeos. I haven't observed that one. Well, I, I don't like it anymore. I mean, uh, I'm old now, of course. But yeah. <laughs> I... I Probably would had I had the mind I have now, I wouldn't have done the thing at that time. But the goat is this, it, you race as fast as you can on your horse to a goat who's already tied out in the arena, and um, it's a race to see how fast you can catch the goat and take the string that you have and tie up the three legs and then throw your arms in the air, and it's all very dramatic. So right. it's speed, really, yeah. and you coordinate all those things. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are, there, there are changes over the years. I, I, I know, you know many bull riders are wearing helmets these days. Yes. Probably well, smart. And also the concern for the animal. That's something that it was just, so what? It was there and you did it, but I, I don't. Let's just let that goat wander around. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you mentioned horses, your love for horses. Um, you, uh, the third section, the last section in this volume of poetry is titled Withers. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, so is, is there a poem here that you'd like to read? I'd love to have you read a uh, poem about sure. a horse. Sure. Um, well, there's a, there's a poem that fits the season right now. It's called Winter's Mare. And this was my horse. A winter's mare. On these frost-bound mornings, under trees furry with snow, my horse's flank and throat jingle with tiny icicles. 
her warm belly jeweled with baubles of winter. She trots from the bare trees, edging her world. Fetlocks encircled with gypsy bells. She kicks and sprays new snow in her hurry to meet me at the gate. With a whoosh of steam from deep in her chest, she stretches her muzzle, whiskers drizzled with pearls, to search the blue bucket for grain. I bury my face in her speckled neck and rub her ghostly ears. She is finally free of rhyme and icy tailwinds. Her whinny, silent, I return to the house, leaving her memory to winter once again. Mm. This was yours? Yes, yeah. she was my yeah. my horse. And I still, I can still hear that sound of, like little jingles of the icicles on her, on her long winter hair. <laughs> what is it? What is it about horses? I guess you grew up around horses, did you, or what? Uh... Grew up around horses, and I think any father is a smart man who can get his daughters hooked on horses instead of boys as soon as possible. That's not a very smart thing to do. So I had two sisters and we all had horses and we would just, it was back in the day when your parents would just say, go, go, go somewhere. And you'd go 10 hours, come back for dinner and be on your horse all day long. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that does sound, that sounds wonderful. I got I guess I, I, I've never, I've been on a horse <laughs> once or twice uncomfortably. Um, mm-hmm. I can imagine there's a freedom there just, uh, just out with your horse. The better the horse, the better, right? Yeah. It's something that's not going to scare you. And if you've only been on a couple of times, it's, it takes little more getting used to because it's a big powerful very possibly dangerous animal and everything wrong with my body was caused by a horse so i kind of i'm like a walking scar tissue i think mm. <laughs> yes so there, there's a downside okay mm-hmm. um so you um you then went on to uh to pack mules in the uh, or uh, then forest service wilderness ranger and then packing mules in the sawtooth uh, wilderness what, right. what, what, how, did, how did you make that transition to the Forest Service? Um, I applied for a job there, and they just happened to need a wrangler. Uh, this was um, in Ketchum, and the, that's where I applied for the job. And the job was in the Stanley area, up uh, in the Sawtooth. And um, all of my cohorts were... Uh, young wilderness ranger men from the various schools like Utah State, Washington, and Humboldt, all the forestry programs. And I had absolutely no forestry background, but I knew horses, and they needed a, a wrangler. So I would go in on, a say, a Monday morning, take a string of mules all loaded down, and then I would come out on a Friday night. And I would just... Um, I had to put the, put the, you know deal with the animals and pick up trash and contact people at lakes and um, for fishing violations possibly and so I'd camp every night with the the mules and I was in very remote country so I didn't encounter many people at all and then head them all back home again it was it was romantic and yet it was very lonely and it was hard work. Mm. Uh, it's a good combination. Yeah, that does sound like a good, a good combination. Um, so, uh, talk to me about wilderness. These are these are areas that we actually designate wilderness, right? We call it wilderness. Uh, there are restrictions, of course, but you know, it's it's. But there are people up there, right? Including you. <laughs> oh right, wilderness is a is in its natural form as as hopefully the best. Um, we can preserve at the time that we we are there. Uh, there there are past uses that have been uh, present. So there is uh, range uh, cattle can have been there. Uh, sheep have been there. Those uses have been established. But the the limitations are no logging and no mining. And yes, people are welcome, but hopefully 
um, people are not a deterrent as well. The land is to remain unfettered and um, so that you could hopefully pop down in from any any time period and be there and feel that it is just as primeval as it was before. The definition of primeval, of course, is what is that? Right. Well, there's a current debate about can... Um, are motorized, no motorized vehicles are allowed, but how does the mountain bike fit into that whole thing? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, where to draw the line, right? Yeah. Right. Um, And what the end goal is. Uh, So you, you know, Forest Service Wilderness Ranger, packing mules in the Sawtooth Wilderness, Um, you went on to teach school, we'll talk about that a little later, but uh, at a certain point you went from working in wilderness to becoming an activist, um, it became important I, to you to preserve I, wilderness, I guess. Yes, I did. I think that can't help but happen when you look around and and are so stunned by the beauty of this quiet, amazing place where you are so small and insignificant if you allow yourself to become that way and um, just watch the, the forces around you from avalanches to moose walking through to um, just the the life and the death of creatures around you. Um, and I had the fortune of meeting uh, my husband when I worked in the Sawtooths, and he founded the Hyuintis Preservation Council, Utah Wilderness Association, I, I as well. Um, but he, he shared not only the respect for the land, but he knew what it took to act to protect it. And that was all new to me. So I owe him that knowledge. Mm. Uh, Let me have you read, uh, could I have you read the first poem in the collection? Sure. The first section is titled Untethered, and then this is Liturgy for the Earth, for Earth. Liturgy for Earth. In this juniper, born of a seed on a mesa in the sun, shelter of jays and mountain lion is the word. In this rock, ancient as the vesper wind caressing every crevice, every cleft, is the altar. In this cirque, comber of clouds and midwife of the dawn is the homily. In this stream, filling granite fonts with golden offering of aspen leaves and cutthroat trout is the hymn. In this goshawk, who with stroke and gesture of wingtip slices through wind and cloud is the way. In my heart, where deep love for this world wraps itself about each tiny thing is hope. I've read that poem several times, even to myself. Just it calms me down. It just there is so much going on with the fear of even being outside right now in the pandemic. Uh, it it's the meditative power of poetry is is just stunning. I think um, I don't mean just my own poetry. Gosh, I mean just you stumble on something that you love in the words, and you just, it's very, very peaceful, almost like a mantra to mm. keep reading it. I find that in poetry of um, Patty Ann Rogers and Mary Oliver and, uh, oh, so many great poets. Just, just we need that right now. Mm-hmm. Do you find you're reading more of that or reading more poetry during the pandemic? I have been. I've been discovering new poets, taking more chances, just opening up books that I might have on a shelf and I haven't opened in a long time and find something. It's it's very connective, I think, when you read a poem by um, another writer and then you realize you have the same thoughts. It's, um, it's comforting, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. You may not see the world the very same way that that person does, but there are so many threads in it that just help you be part of the world and a little less isolated and lonely right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. A lot of us are feeling isolated. Oh, 
Exactly. So true. Yeah. You said earlier, I want to follow up on this, you, you were afraid to go outside. Um, and for, uh, <laughs> for an outdoors woman, right, um, who, who loves the outdoors, are you talking just to be, you know, going out to the grocery store kind of thing? And Because that I think you'd be, thing, you'd be sure. fairly safe up in the, you know, up in wilderness areas, I would imagine. Or, yes. And then you're always ducking and weaving, though, right, if you encounter another person. <laughs> you, yeah. to, you can't just say, how was it up there? What was happening? Just go wind around. Yes, it's changed everything. And I, this summer, have discovered kayaking. So I've, I've kayaked just, oh, so much every week. And it is, it's like an isolation within isolation, just knowing that I'm safe and I'm moving through. I'm not stopping and there is nobody where I am. Yeah, and that, that, you know that's good and bad, right? It's it's kind of bad yeah. that you'd feel the need to do that because it might be nice to have a companion out there on the water, I suppose. But uh, during the pandemic, right, right, yeah. you wonder if you if your friends and your associates and your colleagues and people you've loved in who are not right with you will still be there. But what is the time frame? We don't know. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess you're, you're feeling kind of the same unease, fear that all of us are, are feeling and that, that connection, we, we've talked about that, that connection is sort of severed when, when other human beings are, are potentially dangerous to you. It is severed. And, and yet there's a great warmth, isn't there? When you actually have somebody like, like you have somebody on the phone and you can have a conversation. And I think we have to just keep these, um, not shut off the opportunities to talk to one another, but try to find ways that we can still feel like ourselves and maybe maybe sharing in a different way, you know, maybe calling someone up and uh, reading a passage out of a book. What do you think about that? You know, just getting some... That's what's so good about... Um, I, I just can't tell you. Uh, UPR and... Public radio has just been a savior during this time. There's so many interesting things, conversations that you don't, you aren't actually witnessing and you're not with the other person in the room, but there it is, it's happening, and somehow you can transport yourself to being part of that. Yeah, yeah, it is certainly true. There are connections we can still have, and that, that is, we, we should celebrate that. That is true. Yes. Uh, I wonder if you would read, we need to go to break here fairly soon, but I wonder if you'd read on page 44. Um, there's, you know, we're in the middle of winter. It's a particularly cold day today. Um, <laughs> and and when, when I encountered this, I thought, oh, this is a nice relief. So, uh, <laughs> Okay, close your eyes, everyone. Yeah. Imagine it's not white and dark out there. Sunflower power. Bees appear courting the sun in my summer garden drawn to beaded rims of pollen, landing strips of yellow dust, the frenzy hums at the feast, hovers in purple understory of breezy bachelor buttons. Robed in fluffy chaps, they work the powdered stamen of a sunflower, gold mandala of the, of the garden, compass of the sun. On legs thin as eyelashes, they cross textured petals to the stigma, crown of creation yeah that thanks yeah. tom that was yeah. nice yeah. a little color <laughs> nice <laughs> nice and and a reminder we are headed toward the summer solstice now so we're, right. we're heading in the right we direction are. um oh. you you have you know you have several seasons uh in in this book there, there, there's a lot of winter here um mm-hmm. and uh, i wonder you know um maybe contrast you know summer in the wilderness versus winter in the wilderness or some of these remote places um, gee, each, I'll view it in terms of hardship. Each has its hardship determined by the weather, and maybe that's what wilderness is all about. Um, the, the sweatiness and the, um, the affliction of flies and mosquitoes, we can't forget those, the queen of the mountains, right? They are, they are powerful. So that's the summertime, um, accompaniment that you have versus winter of just being so careful to be safe and not get yourself in a jam somewhere. And 
I I think what I like in wilderness is the fact that you are, no matter what the season, you are the determinant of your safety. You you aren't just within reach immediately of some someone to yell if you needed some help. And I don't I don't not like I wander around thinking about that. But you you are aware that you're much more much more on edge of um, of danger. And it's your survival. It's your um, your ability to move through country safely and be part of it. And that has that has always to be. Uh, one has to be aware of of risks. Do you suddenly cross a log over that stream? Hmm. What are my risks? Maybe I should just take my boots off and wander across the rocks instead. And you make choices constantly. I think it's very, it's a very empowering experience to just test your your fortitude. I think in big country. What does that do for you? Do you think you test your fortitude in big country? You come back. What is what? What's changed? What's I guess improved? What's what's what does that do for you? It, it might make you quieter, um, more observant more intent, maybe more respectful of how long you have to live on Earth, um, how much you are just one part of, of all of life. I don't believe that we are the most important creature out there, and I like that feeling, I, and it just reiterates it. I'm I'm so that's why I like living in Utah because there is so much big space. Uh, and we um you know as you were talking about that you know you're not we're not the only species and you know uh, respecting nature and some of the dangers. Maybe when we come back from break have you read a couple of poems about bears that are Okay. Are, yeah. Which it seems to be the you know the 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 species that captures the attention the most. I, you know, I, I it find does. It, yeah. Um, so let's t- take a break. Uh, we're talking with Margaret Pettis. Her latest book of poetry is titled "In the Temple of the Stars," and that's uh, out. That's available on Amazon and other uh, outlets uh, right now. More following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Utah State University MBA, offering a one- or two-year online MBA program available throughout the world. Learn from seasoned professionals and professors. Application deadline is June 15th. Information can be found at HuntsmanMBA.com. Support also comes from Utah State University Extension's Gardener's Almanac, providing monthly tips and information on all aspects of gardening for both beginners and pros. Information at garden.usu.edu. Hi, this is Nick Forster, inviting you to join us this week for part two of E-Town's 30th anniversary celebration Featuring music from Nathaniel Rateliff, Black Pumas, War and Treaty, Bob Weir, Lyle Lovett, and more. That's all this week in E-Town. Tune in Saturday evening at 7 here on Utah Public Radio. For the past two years here on Utah Public Radio, we've been bringing you a weekly dose of research and exploration. We call it undisciplined because we work really hard to take scientific studies, which are usually written in journals intended for people who share a background in a subject matter, and make them accessible for just about everyone. There are more than 100 episodes available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can catch us every Thursday morning at 1030 here on UPR. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, we're talking with Margaret Pettis. Uh, she lives in uh, Cache Valley uh, as a retired uh, school teacher. Uh, previous to that, uh, worked as a wrangler on an Idaho ranch. As a Forest Service wilderness ranger, she packed mules and sawtooth wilderness, and she co-founded the Utah Wilderness Association and the High Uendas Preservation Council. 
uh, a previous uh, book of poetry. It was titled Choke Cherry Rain, and uh, for that she won the Utah State Poetry Society Book Award. Uh, the latest uh, volume is called In the Temple of the Stars. That's what we're talking about uh, today with uh, with Margaret Pettis. So Margaret Pettis, uh, before the break, uh, mentioned uh, at least a couple of poems here about uh, bears. I'm trying to find this, but this first one is called uh, November Bear. Yes, uh, page yes. 26. I wonder if you'd read that for us. Okay. Now I know why people pause on the phone when you are doing interviews, Tom, because one hand is on the phone and the other hand is trying to turn pages. <laughs> That's right. And, and often speakerphone and hands-free produces a bad sound. So yeah, we, we insist on you using the handset. But yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, <laughs> I get it now. This is great. This poem is called November Bear. She walks here on long black ribs of fur shadow and needle-prickled carpet. The forest is still. Her snuffling is close. Wind slides off the cirques far above her den. Deep in her chest, a heart made strong for winter, long months of torpor and ice, moves her across the scree. Alone, she will birth her cubs in a narrow dreamlike cavern, nudged by the suckling, the bawling into her breast, the nuzzling into her darkness. Persephone of the wild world, her return brings blossoms, a tinkling of water below blue ice, red buds on alder, pollen on pools, birds back to the boughs, spindly spotted fawns to quick flicks of the doe's rough tongues. But now, in late November, she skirts the meadow's edge, her belly brushing bearberry, where rocks nudge closer, shadows shift, and a bear passes into the forest her kind have known forever. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, have you ever had an encounter that was too close with a bear or any other species? Many times, yeah. yes. Um, my husband and I have gone um, into the Dunor country, Wyoming. We've we've tracked grizzlies. Uh, we don't hunt, but we track them to find them, to observe them, and um, you know, carry stick and bang stick on the tree, and wear bells and talk loud, and I play the harmonica. So you're, 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 you want to find them, but you also want to alert them that you're coming. And if you are so lucky to be able to observe a grizzly or a black bear up close, it's, I mean, up close within a safe distance, it's just a magnificent experiment um, in in <laughs> in blood pressure, let's say, <laughs> mm. and what kind of a surge you get from um, viewing it, but knowing that you're, you're safe. And yeah, I, we were walking a trail in southern Montana, and we came across a bear too, too close. Um, we had our little dog with us, and Dick grabbed the dog, and I he described it as I looked like a, a Roadrunner cartoon. My legs were like <laughs> like little, little 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 all in one in one moment, not going anywhere, but just like running in space. And when we, as we ran, we were far enough away that it was safe to be able to run, and we knew exactly where we our vehicle was close by. So we, uh, I had a major bruise on the bottom of my chin that was caused by my knee hitting my chin. <laughs> now, I could never do that today. Can you touch mm-hmm. your chin with your knee? No, no, not even close. Not even close. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's... That was intense. Uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's... Uh, some would call you crazy for tracking bears, I guess. But you'd, <laughs> but you'd, you'd just try to be safe, and so far you have been, I guess. Yes, have yeah. been. They're amazing animals. I, I formed a, another group called uh, BearNet at one time where I was trying to coordinate all um, inf- lots of information from the western United States about um, what practices were, were um, facing bears. And I really I find the, the baiting of bears to be just a r- repugnant practice, putting pig guts and donuts and 
all sorts of awful stuff down and then drawing the bears in and then killing them there at a bait pile. I just think that's not, that's not hunting. That's an awful thing. So I really care about bears. Mm. I wonder if there's another uh, poem. I wonder if you'd read this on page 84 about, uh, about bears. Oh, good. This one's called Grizz. Ravens startle, scatter. Down a slope, yellow as doe skin, she walks. Two cubs at her flank, batting bees in the paintbrush. Nearsighted eyes on the golden bundles bumping her great bulk. She crosses the conifer shadows, glazed with frost. Bawling and tumbling, the twins splash in the creek, showering thick coats with snowmelt. Pressing perfect prints into the mud, they vanish in the dark forest. Ravens return, emboldened. I rise from my blind of sage, shed wyithia petals and caldera dust from my gray flannel shirt, and mute with my fist the necklace of Punjabi bells I wore to ward off just such a moment of awe. That is truly the, the conflict. You have to ward them off, but you want to see them. Yeah, that, that is an interesting tension, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeking is that rise in blood pressure, as you said, right? You're, uh, it's, it's an awesome sight. I can't say I'm really an, an adrenaline chaser, you know, that, that, but I know that that's, that's part and parcel of what you encounter when you're with a, a big animal. I mean, the same with uh, a moose. Can go looking for a moose, and you know you have to be close to the tall willows, where the moose is could be just on the other side. So you need to weigh your 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 caution all the time mm. to be able to see them. It's so we're, you know we're talking about uh, respectfully uh, interacting with being there with with other species. Um, and you mentioned bear baiting, and there, there, there are many ways in which we, we aren't respectful. We, <laughs> we're very destructive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that takes me to a, a poem called uh, Asphalt Forensics. I wonder if you'd read this one for us. So, uh, 102, page 102. Thank where, you for giving me page numbers. That's yes. really helpful. Um, so this, uh, you know, I think, I think we've all been there in some respects you know we we build highways we mm-hmm. we you know we we want to get from point a to point b uh but there's some collateral damage there is this um one thing about this book in the temple of the stars um uh, readers from our area will recognize a lot of the places from uh, in my travels and of course those affect my my observations so you can pick out a lot of the places in the poems. I've, I've had folks tell me that, and that, that's kind of neat. It's familiar territory. So this poem is called Asphalt Forensics. Skid marks careen diagonal into the median. I check the cheat grass for a body, a post askew among mile markers. Slammed like a javelin into the berm is a cockeyed pole, wreathed in tinsel, and faded fabric roses, too so long, too forlorn to tend. Start the species count, mule deer, owl, kestrel, daylight survey of midnight carnage by the dead-on, set-upon, moth-shredding headlights of FedEx triples bearing north from Utah. A stole of hare, fedora of fox, cape of crow, Laced of snake, gruesome collisions strangle in wire. Windshield glass sprinkles the kindling of an antelope corpse, torn belly and bladder twisted midway balloons, scorch contorted by the end of July. Hidden from high beams, vandals booby-trapped the off-ramp with rocks robust as melons. Sneakers sidle onto the shoulder, 
fenders festoon the barrow pit. A car seat dozes in the ditch. A t-shirt as thin as tissue flails on a cattle guard post. The rest stop warns, all camping forbidden. A squatting hitchhiker at the Pocatello split aims his red-inked sign at my gaze, Boise. If I heed, I wonder, is that true? A smile? A story? A knife? I depress the pedal, turn up roadkill radio, and let the preachers audition for my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like it's that. hard to find a good station out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> Yeah, that resonated <laughs> with me. I've uh, I've been there where you can't find a the station you want, so you're you listen to what's there, right? Right, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I want to, you know, move along with your, kind of your bio here. Uh, at a certain point, do you decide to teach school? How did that come about? Yes, I did. Yes. I, uh, started in the Murray School District because we settled in Salt Lake City, but then I had a horse and see horses have always made decisions for me. I think <laughs> my horse merited better pasture. So I started looking into a wider area and um, came to Cache Valley where I could teach school, got a job at South Cache. And um, South Cache has changed names so many times, it's kind of hard to identify. It's 8-9 Center, it was a middle school, it's um, really changed according to the demography and the, the needs of of which kids can come to that school. It was a freshman center, and that's where I ended up. So I lived about a mile and a half from the school, and I could walk every day to school, or I could ride my bike. In the early winters, I could, or early years of teaching there, I could snow, um, I could ski over, go down the little Mm. hill and ski my students i think thought it was a little bizarre but too bad <laughs> yeah well that, that, that's a nice commute uh and you um i'm guessing you enjoyed it you were good at it won several awards as a teacher i loved teaching i just thought it was wonderful i think i i well i taught 41 years total and i friends kept saying you know you can retire you can you could get on with another part of your life but i loved it i just there's something so great about ninth grade was my particular area i think the the kids just um they're just blooming right then and they want to try out their ideas and i'm fortunate enough to be the person to get to hear those ideas and help them form them perhaps into poems and essays and novels. We wrote novels, too, 50-page novels. I required every one of my students to write 50 handwritten pages to tell a story over the course of the year, and they did it. Wow, that, that's ambitious. They did it. Yeah, yeah, they did it. So these are, what, 14, 15-year-olds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that is an interesting age. And uh, I guess English, is that's a, that's a very good way to interact with the kids and and, Wonderful. and see their development. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if you, you, of course, you retired in 2015, uh, predating the pandemic by a couple of years. Uh, I'm guessing you're thinking about the teachers and the students now and, and how this is all affecting them. Oh, definitely. I I have very good friends who are still teachers. One is a teacher of first grade in Salt Lake, and one is a teacher of eighth grade here in Cache Valley. And I think that's just just such a traumatic situation to be in. You don't know about your own health, or you see so many fluctuating absences. Are students sick? Um, Should we all be online all the time? Is that the safest place we should be? Um, It's just, and teaching is so different. You can't do you walk up and down the aisle and put your hand on someone's shoulder and say, that is really a good job, or no, do you stand way off behind your your mask? Students love the interaction between, or, well, you know, we, it's just it's very restrictive now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just hurdles that we have to, you know, 
encounter every day in our, in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, before we go to another break, I wonder if you'd read the, the title poem uh, at page 20. Okay. This takes us back to the, the natural world. It's always a good place to be. Um, in the Temple of the Stars, wind chitters through the aspen, snap of a stick, the dark head of a moose knee-deep in a tangle of willow, pushes through the tracery. Aware of me now, she plunges in sparkled retreat, stepping into the silver stream, sliding along the shadow's edge. Alpen glow ignites red knob, each crevasse a sooty gash on the violet escarpments of dusk. On the still water, the rosy reflection swirls north into the green. Carrying a soft yellow bucket, of river back to my tent, I hear the Merlin of the Uintas. Distant, wavering, unmistakable, Wolf is here under moonlight. To protect him, I will not speak of where I heard him howl. The names of white explorers crown the ridgeline of the range. Gilbert, Agassiz, King, Bridger, Smith, Hayden, the land those before knew by heart. My finger traces the names imposed on blue lakes, dappling the green of my worn topo map. Lightning, amethyst, moon, north star, spirit, crystal, magical sky-held beauty. From a dented silver cup, I carefully sip jasmine tea, warming my lips and fingers, weary, sinking into night. I am embraced by furs in the temple of the stars. Mm, Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. It sounds like so many places I've spent oh, nights and nights and nights in the wilderness. Yeah. You mentioned uh, wolves there. You've, have you had encounters with wolves? It, it um, involved in wolf well, preservation? Primarily yeah. Lamar Valley. Lamar Valley, yes. Yellowstone. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, just uh, spectacular. Uh, and of course, there's, there's a lot of politics surrounding that. Uh, Definitely. You've been there. You've been observing them too, Tom? Uh, no, I haven't. Lamar? No, I haven't, but I uh, talked a lot about them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the political yeah. context. Yeah. I would like yeah. to. That'd be that would be nice. That'd be that'd be great. Uh you know, someday. <laughs> someday. <laughs> someday. Right. Uh let's take another break. When we come back, we'll uh, have our final segment with Margaret Pettis. The latest book of poetry is In the Temple of the Stars. More following this. Hi, I'm Natalie Gochner. I represent the Political Center. Join us for Both Sides of the Aisle from KCPW, a weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices representing the right, the center, and the left. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing residents of this state while proving that Republicans and Democrats can sit in a small room and have a meaningful conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in January. We reached our last segment with Margaret Pettis. The latest volume It's out now in the Temple of the Stars, a volume of uh, poetry. Uh, so, Margaret Pettis, we have about uh, six minutes left in, in the program. I wanted to uh, get to this from your uh, bio before we close. Uh, you volunteered as an English teacher for state inmates incarcerated at the Cache County Jail. Uh, I did. T- t- tell me about that. Oh, that was a wonderful experience. Um, I volunteered to. There are there are state prisoners housed in the Cache County Jail um, due to overcrowding at the point when I did. I volunteered, um, and I had read recently that the women prisoners um, made it through an average of eighth grade education, and that they had children on the outside while they were incarcerated. And I just felt, what if I were to take uh, some some of my skills down and help them earn a GED, get an education under uh, on their resume, in addition to the other perhaps unsavory things that were on their resumes. <laughs> and... Um, I volunteered to teach English, so I, that was, there were very few women, though, and very few women who actually wanted to come and be part of the class. I really was 
I had a preconception of what it would be to teach men. I can imagine just probably my televised mind full of what the typical um, incarcerated prisoner was, and that kind of scared me. But I moved into teaching men. They really needed someone to, to teach English. I taught English. I taught some art. I taught poetry. We worked on GED skills to pass basic essay writing and grammar to the men. And it was it was just great. It was me in a room with perhaps 15 prisoners, um, and they were all in their tables. And we actually had fun talking about how a comma can change the intent of what you are writing. And and we laughed a lot, and they wrote a lot, and we produced a poetry book called uh, Bar None, a collection of prisoners' poetry. And it was just, it was great. I think it was a great break in their day, and they learned something. So you can't beat that, can you? No, no, certainly can't. You know. uh, <laughs> we have about three minutes left. I wonder if you'd uh, like to select a, a poem. Uh, you know, it can't be too long, but... Uh, Paul, maybe okay. to to, uh, to end here. I'll pick a sh- I'll pick a short one. Um, it's it's called the Eddie, and it's another poem written here in Cash Valley. With a meadowlark, our witness, clear-headed, we trespass, press bare skin through strands barbed against cattle, and slip down to the creek. A parquetry of sunlight on summer's eddy mirrors the looping dance of flickers in the limbs. On a black boulder, we share a thermos, provolone, soprasata, scatter ciabatta crumbs for juncos. To whispers of stoneflies, we settle to the pulse of decay. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we have time. We could do, fit in maybe uh, one or two shorter short poems. Okay, Uh, I will look for short here. (laughs) Um, Oh, here's another horse poem. It's called Ex-Con. Startling each other, a white horse and I met on a crook in the dirt road through rolling highland fields. What brings you here, beauty, all alone on this meadowlark hill? I wanted to ask, watching her lashes, and counting the burrs snarling her long, ragged mane. Did you bolt from a pack string or escape from the barn, your tail long and sparse, no longer knotted to teasel like an ancient ship docked in a dry sea? How long have you run, head up frantic in freedom, through these fenceless fields, silhouetted in the shackleless morning sun? Do you wonder the same of me, a woman with wild hair, dusty clothes down from the mountain, or escapee to the canyon, two fugitives, forbidden a field. Horses. It's mm. always horses. Always horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we could do uh, one more short one before the, the end of the program okay. here. Okay. Okay. Um, this is Reed Hunter. Geese chatter in an island of black necks, far out in a misty shroud. The horizon drifts and fades. Snow hisses into the lake. All is white. In a sudden shifting of sky, a quiet boat skirted in reeds, noses from the fog. In a pocket of light, a wraith, dark above the gunnels, steers his wet prow to a collegianous shore. Mercurial oars dipping, sluicing the silver afternoon, stalking quivering oases of winter geese. There are so many images around us. There, if we just observe them, you just calm it down and look and take it in. It's it's right there. It's right there. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, the the volume of poetry latest out from uh, Margaret Pettis is in the Temple of the Stars. It's available on Amazon. Um, and uh, Margaret Pettis has uh, joined us for the hour. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. It's many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T here with the latest weather report from Mars and the Jezero Crater. 
The high temperature was 14 below, and the low was 111 below Fahrenheit. This is where the Perseverance rover is taking measurements in the northern hemisphere of Mars. Also in the sky, early Thursday morning, just before dawn, begins to light up the eastern sky. Remnants of the most famous of comets briefly light up the early morning sky. Halley's, or Halley's Comet as it's known now, made its last pass through the inner solar system in 1986 and is not due back until the summer of 2061. But each time Halley sweeps around the sun, it leaves behind a dusty trail. Call it cosmic debris, if you will. That cosmic trail is called Eta Aquarid Meteor Shower, with 30 or more of these swift meteors hurtling across the night sky an hour. And we should have a good viewing this year because the moon is in a crescent phase. Get up about 3 a.m. if you really want to see them and head to the darkest spot you know. Look to the east. The streaks continue for another few days. Later in the morning, the crescent moon passes underneath the gas giant planets Jupiter and Saturn as those colorful orbs are seen in the early dawn again, early in the east. To many cultures, the mystical appearance of comets, meteors, and meteor showers were signs that something good or bad had happened or was about to happen. The arrival of a comet could herald the birth of a great figure, and some people have conjectured that the star in the sky which the Persian Magi followed to Bethlehem to see the newborn Jesus was actually a comet. Records of astronomical events and sky watching can be found in historical texts from the Far East, too. Ancient and medieval records from China, Korea, and Japan have been found to contain detailed accounts of meteor showers. Sometimes these different sources can be correlated, which has allowed astronomers to track, for example, the impact of Halley's Comet on ancient societies, both east and west. The accounts of meteor showers appear in the various spans of the Sioux and North American plains. Sioux kept records called Winter Counts, which were a chronological pictorographical account of each year painted on animal skin. In 1984, Vondell Chamberlain listed the astronomical references for 50 Sioux winter counts, of which 45 plainly referred to an intense meteor shower during 1833-1834. So stay curious, enjoy the magic under the stars, and look up, look around, and get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on UPR with translator station statewide. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and utahhumanities.org, improving communities through active engagement with the humanities. Hey, it's Francis Lamb, host of The Splendid Table. This week, we're celebrating Mother's Day. We have the mother-son duo of Jewel Robinson and Kwame Onwachi talking about how she inspired him to become a lauded chef. We take Mother's Day cooking questions with Melissa Clark and we hear about the Korean birthday soup tradition of Myokuk. It's coming up on The Splendid Table. Sunday at noon here on Utah Public Radio. listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.